All right, welcome back to Bible Braced. We are in Bible Study Lesson 23, the Gospel of John. If you have not listened to Intro to Bible Study and Lessons 1 through 22, please do so, and that will catch you up with where we're at today. So we've been talking about a few different things. I need to take a sip of coffee real quick. I hope you just took a sip yourself. And we are heading into the end of chapter three here. We've been talking about Jesus after his trip to Jerusalem during Passover, after cleansing the temple, after talking with Nicodemus, Jesus went out to baptize, but not him, his disciples. And apparently he's close enough in the region for John the Baptist, who was still baptizing at this point, to hear about where he's at, for his men and followers to hear about where he's at. A discussion arises about the the baptism and the Jews purification rites. And then one of John's followers comes to him and, and is concerned because everyone's going to Jesus that used to come to them. And John the Baptist gives this beautiful statement regarding the significance of his ministry paling and diminishing compared to the real reason that everyone was there. The true main act was Jesus himself. And John the Baptist was like someone who came out on the stage to announce, you know, the play. (laughs) He wasn't the play by any means. And so this is a really interesting section. It's beautiful. It's very humble. It's a really good example to us who are involved in any work that God has given us that we have hearts of humility, recognizing that it's really about Jesus and we should be focusing on him and glorifying him and not focused on ourselves and our prestige and following, et cetera, et cetera. So it's about Jesus. So my quotation in the Lexham English Bible, the quotation of John the Baptist ends at verse 30, at the end of verse 30. But John MacArthur thinks that 31 through 36 is also John the Baptist speaking. And my hyperlink in the Lexham English Bible says that some interpreters and Bible translations do extend that quotation of John the Baptist through verse 36. So let's go ahead and take a look at this. And I think personally that this cohesive thought makes sense to have been John the Baptist continuing to talk, but it also makes sense for John the Apostle to have put this in as the author. So we don't have to get too bit out of shape about this. It really is a beautiful thing regardless. So verse 31 says, the one who comes from above is over all. The one who is from the earth is from the earth and speaks from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is over all. So again, this contrast between the ministry of a man like John the Baptist and the ministry of the God-man, Jesus. What he has seen and heard, this he testifies, and no one accepts his testimony. The one who accepts his testimony has attested that God is true. For the woman whom God sent speaks the words of God, for he does not give the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who disobeys the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this is the end of chapter three. So before we move on, let's let's divide this section up a little bit more so we can think about it a little bit more because this is quite a statement, right? My MacArthur Study Bible has a section on verses 31 through 36. And it says, in these verses, John the Baptist gave five reasons for Christ's superiority to him. Because again, MacArthur thinks this is still John the Baptist talking. One, Christ had a heavenly origin. 
in verse 31 does it say the one who comes from above is over all and the one who comes from heaven is over all. So that's heavenly origin is, is point number one. Two, Christ knew what was true by firsthand experience. And we see this from verse 32. What he has seen and heard, this he testifies, and no one accepts his testimony. You know, this actually sounds very similar to what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We speak of what we know and we testify about what we have seen, but you have not accepted or you've not heard our testimony. That sounds very similar to that conversation with Nicodemus. And that, again, this could just be the Holy Spirit's illuminating these things to John the Baptist to use similar wording. It could be John the Apostle as the author referencing that also led by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, uh, no one accepts his testimony. The one who accepts his testimony has attested that God is true. And then let's see here. It says the third reason for Christ's superiority is Christ's testimony always agreed with God. We see this in verse 33, that the one who accepts his testimony is attested that God is true. And then the fourth reason is Christ experienced the Holy Spirit in an unlimited manner. And we see this in verse 34. And the verse 34 says, For the one whom God sent speaks the words of God, for he does not give the Spirit by measure. That's interesting. So, yeah, this is another attestation for the superiority of Jesus in this moment. And then the fifth reason is Christ was supreme because the Father sovereignly had granted that status to him. And that's in verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then verse 36 reiterates what we've learned in our conversation with Nicodemus. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who disobeys the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. What a crazy, emphatic statement for this to happen at this phase in the ministry of Jesus. This has already come down to believing in Jesus or not believing and the consequences eternally of that, which we now know, of course, but it's really cool to see this, that even this early in the ministry of Jesus, these conversations were happening with Nicodemus with potentially an, a, a disciple of John the Baptist, or John is referencing this phase and what this means. So very, very cool, very encouraging, very exciting. All right, so then we are heading into chapter four now. So let us move on here. Chapter four, verse one says, Now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. Okay, this is interesting. So Jesus knows that the Pharisees are hearing this, and that's what makes him leave Judea, apparently. I wonder why, you know? Now when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's heading back home. He's going back north because it's getting too hot, maybe. You know, Jesus is very intentional. He references frequently throughout his ministry that his time had not yet come, that it wasn't time for certain things to happen, that he and the Father are one, and he is very, like, he's fully submitted to the Father and his plan. And so, you know, the Pharisees are what God eventually uses as a tool to bring about his end goal, right? The crucifixion the complete sacrifice for our sins. And this was something that 
Jesus had full control over, he went in with his eyes wide open, right? To be our sacrifice and our ultimate savior. And so the the Pharisees being used as a catalyst for that is significant. And, you know, this is a stage in his ministry. It's early in the ministry of Jesus. And uh, from what we can see anyway, it seems like Jesus was being intentional to not allow too much of a response in one region. He seems to travel quite a bit, and that could be for multiple reasons, and we won't know for sure until we get to heaven and ask him. But one of the reasons I can think of, obviously, is he wanted to reach more people. And in a place where people couldn't just pick up and leave, you know, they had families to keep food in their mouths and they had jobs and occupations. Jesus moved around to be able to reach those people. But then also potentially he didn't want to cause a huge stir in one region and bring undue attention on himself before it was time. Okay. Because it does reference the fact that he knows the Pharisees are hearing about this and then he leaves that region. So Jesus is not afraid of them. Like he's in complete control of all these things. It's just, you know, the spirit is leading him into what he's to do. And these are things he's open to and receptive to. And so this seemed to be a sign of that. So it's just kind of interesting. So it says he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. So regardless of where Jesus was hanging out and and baptizing, we know that John the Baptist was potentially further north than where Jesus was, but somewhere in this region of Jordan, it could be he was north of Jericho. It could be he was south of Jericho, closer to Jerusalem. Jesus is somewhere in this area near the Jordan baptizing. And now he's going to go back to Galilee, which means to travel further north. And it says, and it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. Now, (laughs) most Jews of this time period would not agree with that statement. (laughs) It was unusual for Jews to go through Samaria. And so we know it wasn't necessary from a geographical standpoint. So what's the necessary here? I have it underlined in my Bible just because it's an interesting use of words, but let's let's double click on it and see what we can find out about this word necessary. Another way of saying it is inevitable. It is inevitable for him to go through Samaria. That's interesting. Less frequently, the word is used as it is a duty or an inevitable thing. It's necessary for him to go. So like there's a burden on him to accomplish this. That makes much more sense if we consider what he does in Samaria, that he felt a calling almost to do it, like he had to go and go through Samaria, which I also think is really cool because obviously Jesus has a date (laughs) with this town that he's going to. He is going to meet a woman at this well, but also through this woman, he's going to minister to an entire village and God in his love for these people is seeking them out, intentionally going out of his way and into a region that was considered hostile to Jews, into a place that was considered dirty and full of people who did not obey God and was full of heresy and apostasy and syncretism, you know, b- blending truth about God with myth and legend and pagan ritual. And, and uh, Jesus would have had every right to hate this kind of place and to look down on these kind of people from a human standpoint, or even from just a righteous standpoint as the true God. But, you know, Jesus has love and compassion and mercy and grace and is willing to reach out and share truth with these people. And they respond to that, which is really cool. So you see much more intentionality regarding 
the relationship Jesus starts with this woman at the well and how he seeks her and how he pulls her out and draws her out to know who he is and to ask these questions. He doesn't do this with like the religious leaders, you know, he was much harsher with Nicodemus, but he still spoke truth and love to him. And he, I guess my point is just like, he knows where we're at. He knows what we need and what we're struggling with. And he is intentionally reacting and engaging to us in ways that um, will only help us, you know, because we're all different people. So that's just really sweet to think about. So he needs to go through Samaria. And it says, he now he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the piece of land that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Okay, so then looking at my map again, there's a little question mark near the village of Sychar. They have it close to Mount Gerizim. And so this would, this is further south from where John the Baptist potentially was baptizing. So again, this doesn't negate the fact that John the Baptist could have been baptizing at the upper end of Samaria. It just means Jesus wasn't very close to him when that happened, if that is the case, because Jesus had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee. And if we draw a line from Sychar, where we think it is, up through Galilee, he's it's more central Samaria. So kind of interesting. There probably looks like it's a mountainous area. There are lots of roads. Again, it probably would have been easier to not take this road but Jesus is intentionally going to Samaria, to this town. It's necessary for him to do that. And that's really cool to think about. So we are out of time. I'm going to go ahead and stop here and we'll move on with this passage in lesson 24.